Happiness, my brothers and sisters, is the object and the design of our existence, and will be the end thereof if we but pursue the path which leads to it. And that path is virtue, uprightness, faithfulness, holiness, and keeping all of the commandments of God. This description of such a universal goal was given to us by the Prophet Joseph Smith. It was relevant then. It is relevant now. Why, perhaps you would ask, with that roadmap to follow, are there so many unhappy people today? Why do frowns outnumber smiles on occasion? And why does despair dampen joy? Why do so many live so far below the level of their divine possibilities? Some of them are caught up in materialism. Others are engulfed by sin. Others are simply swept away with the passing parade of humanity. And there are some who call out, as did Philip of old, How can I find my way, save some man should guide me? Happiness does not consist of a glut of luxury, the world's idea of a good time nor is it to be found in faraway places with strange-sounding names. Happiness is discovered at home. Isn't it interesting that all of us remember the home where we were reared? We may not recall the dimensions of the house, and we may not remember whether the neighborhood was affluent or on the downside, but what we remember are the enjoyable experiences we shared as a family. The home is indeed the laboratory of our lives, and what we learn there largely determines what we do when we leave there. The indomitable Margaret Thatcher, Prime Minister of Great Britain, said that the family is the building block of society. It is a nursery, a school, a hospital, a care center, a place of refuge, a place of rest. It encompasses all of society. It is the preparation for our future lives. I've thought of that, and then I've reflected on the musings, home is where the heart is. Be it ever so humble, there is no place like home. Home, home, sweet home. We turn from such pleasant recollections, however, when we contemplate parents gone, family reared, childhood vanished. Then we come to the conclusion that we are the builders of the homes we occupy. And we must build well, for the voyage of eternity is not brief. There will be calm and storm, sunlight and shadows, joy and sorrow. But if we really try, we can make of our houses happy and heavenly homes. The thoughts we think, the deeds we do, the lives we live have a bearing not only on our journey through mortality, but through eternity as well. 
Happy homes come in a variety of descriptions. Some are comprised of mother and father and sons and daughters. Others are noted by a single parent with one or two children. And there are some who have but one occupant in that home and family. But there are similarities which are to be found in a happy home regardless of the number of its occupants or their ages. I have chosen to call these the hallmarks of a happy home. First, a pattern of prayer. Second, a library of learning. Third, a legacy of love. And fourth, a treasury of testimony. Prayer is the soul's sincere desire, uttered or unexpressed. So widespread is its influence, so beneficial the result. Prayer qualifies as the number one hallmark of a happy home. The parents who kneel with their children come closer to God themselves. These little ones who have so recently come from their Heavenly Father are not afraid to pray to Him and express their thoughts. Family prayer is the greatest deterrent to sin and thence the most beneficent provider of joy and peace. The family that prays together stays together. A married couple will not find true happiness if their eyes are fixed on different stars. They must cease from thinking of impossible fancies of impossible futures and rather come to a common goal and then take the very best of their dreams and mold them into life as it comes each day. This Friday, my wife Frances and I will have been married 40 years. We were married in the beautiful Salt Lake Temple by a saintly man, Brother Benjamin L. Bowring. He said to us that morning, I would like to provide you young people a formula which, if you follow, you shall not have a misunderstanding that will last belong one day. He said, Every night kneel down by the side of your bed. One night, Brother Monson, you offer the prayer, then turning to my companion, the next night you offer the prayer aloud on bended knee, and any misunderstanding that develops during the day will vanish as you pray. This conference marks 25 years from the time I was called to serve in the Council of the Twelve. President David O. McKay, who visited with me on that occasion, asked about my family. I told him of this little formula, how it had worked for us. He sat back in that large leather chair of his and with a broad smile on his face said, Why, Brother Monson, the same formula has worked for my wife and me all of our married lives. I thought we had an exclusive on it. Prayer is the passport to spiritual power. A second hallmark of a happy home is found when our homes are libraries of learning, when good books abound, and when they're read. I remember the little poem, Books are keys to wisdom's treasure. 
Books are gates to lands of pleasure. Books are paths which upward lead. Books are friends. Come, let us read. Reading is one of the most enjoyable experiences of life. In this day when so much is abridged or adapted or shredded or boiled down, it is mind-enriching to sit down in the company of a congenial book. James Mishner, the author, said that a nation becomes what its young people read in their youth, for this is when ideals are formed. I like the word of the Lord. Seek ye out of the best books words of wisdom. Yea, seek learning even by study and also by faith. I also remember that the Lord would have us study the standard works. And this really becomes a library of learning. We must be cautious, lest we underestimate the capacity of our children to read and to understand the Word of God. A few weeks ago, we took our grandchildren on a tour of the Church printing facilities that they might have an opportunity to see where their grandfather once worked. We chose the right day. A missionary edition of the Book of Mormon was being produced. It was a marvel to see the Book of Mormon coming by the hundreds and by the thousands down the delivery line, all printed, bound, trimmed, ready for reading. I said to one of our nine-year-old grandsons, Tommy, Tommy, the operator said that you may have one copy of the Book of Mormon for your very own. Choose one. I think he watched a hundred go by, identical books, until he saw the one he wanted. And then he reached forth his hand, clasped the Book of Mormon to his breast, and said, I love the Book of Mormon. This is my book. Now I think I shall not remember all of the things we did that day, but I shall ever treasure in my heart that honest expression from the heart of a child. Parents, the book from our library shelf, which our children may most treasure, could well be ourselves. Are we setting a proper example? May a son or a daughter look at us and say, I want to be like my dad. I'd like to follow in the footsteps of my dear mother. Unlike the book on the library shelf whose covers shield the contents, we cannot hide. We, my brothers and sisters, are an open book. Let us follow and provide that hallmark of a happy home a library of learning. Third, as a hallmark in a happy home, is a legacy of love. I remember when I was just a little boy how I enjoyed going to my grandmother's home on Buno Avenue here in Salt Lake City. She loved us. We felt it. She would draw us close to her, place us on her knee, and then read to us. Recently, I made a pilgrimage to the old family home. I noted the fire plug out in front of the house and marveled how small it had grown from the time when I used to scale its lofty heights. 
The peaceful porch was the same, and the sweet spirit of love was unchanged. Hanging on the kitchen wall was a framed expression which my aunt had embroidered. Just two lines, but think of the meaning of these two lines. Choose your love, love your choice. My grandmother's youngest son and his wife have lived in that home since grandmother died. She who embroidered that message is now in frail health. But her husband, Ray, is devoted to her night and day, and she reciprocates the same love toward him. They live the lesson they framed. Frequently, as parents, we little realize when our children and grandchildren are observing our examples and learning. My father was a printer, worked hard all of his life. Occasionally on a Sunday afternoon, he would say to me, Tommy, how would you like to come with me and take a ride with Uncle Elias? Father's Uncle Elias was shriveled with rheumatoid arthritis, contorted with pain, a mere shadow of his former self. Why, we would hop in the old 1928 Oldsmobile and speed down Indiana Avenue to 8th West and there stop at the home of Uncle Elias and Aunt Teen. I would remain in the car, Dad would go in the house, and soon I would see him coming out the front door, carrying in his arms like a china doll his precious uncle. Tenderly and carefully, he would place him in the front seat of the car so that he would have a finer view. I would hop in the back, and away we would go. Now, I don't know where we drove. I can't remember what we said. But, oh, what a legacy of love. My dear father never did read to me from the Holy Bible about the Good Samaritan. Rather, he took me with him and Uncle Elias in that old 1928 Oldsmobile along the road that leads to Jericho. When we have a legacy of love in our homes, we will not receive that denunciation of Jacob as recorded in the Book of Mormon when he said, Ye have broken the hearts of your tender wives and lost the confidence of your children because of your bad examples before them and the sobbings of their hearts ascend up to God against you. I'm afraid that if we judge all marriages by what we see on television or read in the newspapers, we will come to the conclusion that virtue has vanished or that love's lamp has burned low. Not so. I'm thinking of two of my dear friends now who lie grievously ill, but they're not alone. Their companions are with them. My friend Press, who has cared for his sweet companion around the clock, providing her every attention and every care and every element of love, said to me, Christine is not as well as she was, but you know, Tom, she's as beautiful as ever. I thought, what fidelity, what devotion. I think of another friend, Gertrude, whose husband, Mark, has suffered a stroke. She makes his room comfortable with flowers and other memorabilia. 
She sits and reads to him by the hour, talks about the children and the grandchildren. During one of these long vigils, she commented, I think I love Mark now more than ever. Really, we don't need to look too far to see a legacy of love. We can look at our own President Ezra Taft Benson and his wife Flora. Recently, they celebrated their 62nd wedding anniversary. Francis and I were invited to join their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren in a wonderful party. The highlight of the evening came when President and Sister Benson held hands and led the group in singing, Keep the Home Fires Burning, Love's Old Sweet Song, and the memorable, I Love You Truly. We as a Church could well follow the example of President and Sister Benson. They read the scripture, they attend the temple, they enjoy life together. These are but word pictures of a legacy of love, a hallmark of a happy home. Finally, let another hallmark be considered a treasury of testimony. The home is the first and finest place of teaching in the Church, said President David O. McKay. A Mormon home should be such that if the dear Christ should come, he would feel inclined to linger and to rest. How can we make our houses such homes? One way is to teach our children in their youth. Children can only get along by riding just so far on the coattails of their parents' conviction. President Heber J. Grant said that it is sheer folly to think that our children will grow to maturity without teaching and have a testimony of the gospel. He said, I may have a testimony of the gospel. My wife may have a testimony of the gospel. But our children will not have a testimony of the gospel unless they study it themselves and obtain their own testimony. A love of the Lord, a respect for His name and teachings, Respect also one for another. Provide a fertile seedbed for a testimony to grow. It isn't easy in this period of time to rear a family, to teach them the truth. There are so many bumps in the road and swells in the sea, and we encounter the turbulence of our times. I'm thinking of an experience I had years ago when I went to the land of Australia there to visit with the missionaries and the members. I saw a treasury of testimony there. I joined President Horace Ensign on the long flight from Sydney to Darwin. Midway, we had a fueling stop at the mining community of Mount Isa. When we deplaned, a lovely mother, Judith Loudon, and her children, two of them, came forward and introduced themselves. They said, We are the only members of the Church in this vast area. We hunger to see other members. We hoped you would be on this flight. We met for a few moments in the airport, talked of her home primary, and then it was time to go. But suddenly there came over the loudspeaker an announcement. The flight will be delayed 30 minutes due to a mechanical problem. Judith Loudon lowered her head and said, my prayer has just been answered. <laughs> we met for 30 more minutes. 
She explained that her husband was not a member of the Church and asked, What can I do to bring him to membership? I said, You be a living witness of a testimony of the gospel. Invite him to your home primary and never, ever give up on him. As the plane lifted from the airport at Mount Isa, I saw her tear-stained cheeks and noted that she and her children were waving a fond goodbye. Years later, while attending a conference, a priesthood leadership conference in Brisbane, Australia, I spoke of gospel scholarship, and I recited the incident of Judith Loudon, and I concluded by saying, I don't know if she was ever successful, but if not, it would not be because she didn't try with her husband. A man raised his hand. He stood and said, Brother Monson, my name is Richard Loudon. Judith Loudon, of whom you speak, is my wife. And those children, he choked up, they're my children and her children. We are a forever family today because of her patience and her persistence. She did it all. The silence in the room was only broken by the sniffles and the silent, muffled sobs as grown men wept. My brothers and sisters, let us make of our houses happy homes. Let us open wide the windows to our hearts that every family member may enter and be at home. Let us open the doorway to our souls, remembering the words of the Lord, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in unto him. How welcome he will feel! How joyful will be our lives! If, when he enters, he finds the hallmarks of a happy home, a pattern of prayer, a library of learning, a legacy of love, and a treasury of testimony, may our lives receive this blessing. I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Tabernacle Choir will sing in closing How Great the Wisdom and the Love, and the benediction will be offered by Elder Victor L. Brown, a member of the First Quorum of the Seventy, and this conference will then be adjourned until 2 o'clock this afternoon.